Good morning. Couple things. Uh, bowls up here, prayer bowl, praise bowl. So if you have answers to prayer, we'd love to have those. If you have prayer requests, put those in, the, in there on the back of your, of your the seat in front of you are these prayer cards, either those or the ones that are up here, which are these. The other ones are green. So we just, we're, we make prayers obviously a priority here. We've gotten so far this year about 1,000. And starting out with, I think, about 400 initially, and then over the course of the months, more added. So if you put a prayer in there, it will be prayed for immediately, and then probably once a month uh, as we finish out the year. Okay, so, and tomorrow night, we're going to be praying for souls. So if you would please ask the Lord, just come. We're going to pray for our loved ones, pray for, the, we just want to see the Lord bringing um, people to himself, amen? And particularly closer to us gets more important, but really, the Lord wants to move among us and bring, and I, you know, we pray for our kids, our children's ministries, all those areas, because really the gospel is the solution to the problems that we see, and we want to be, be seeing people coming. So that's tomorrow night from 6.30 to 7.30, one hour. So would you stand in Mark chapter, turn your Bibles in Mark chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 27 on this huge topic, the resurrection. So we're going to be looking at a lot of verses. Uh, the Bible is packed. In fact, someone said Bible, B-I-B-L-E, is basic information before leaving earth. So uh, lots of stuff in here about this thing called the resurrection. So let's read verses 18 through 27. I will, if you can read along with me, then we'll do a short eight-verse responsive reading out of Psalm 119, and then I'll pray and we'll get into it. So here we go. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Then some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection came to him, Jesus, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and her left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered, verse 24, and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Psalm 119, I'll read verse 89 of the odd ones. If you would read verse 90 and the even ones, and then I'll pray. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. Let's pray. So, Lord, we're so thankful for your word. 
and that you have given us life, your precepts. By them, you've given me life. Your word is living and powerful. Your word is declaring to us the truths that we need to be saved, to have the hope of the resurrection in our hearts, that you, you will indeed, <laughs> we will be resurrected to glory, those of us who have received Jesus as our Savior. And we would pray, Lord, for anyone here who does not know you yet, this might be the time, this word to them. We're thankful that your word is powerful, divides, it can bring out our intentions. It's our daily food. By it we live. By it we know you. We know your voice. So I ask, Lord, you give us ears to hear. The things I prepared, Lord, I ask that you would speak to your people, the things on your heart from your word. You'd help me to do that. The things you've given to me, I can impart. But Lord, by your Holy Spirit, bottom line, the bottom line, we want to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. So speak to us, bless us this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So as you have your Bibles open, going along with the main text, I, I do have a lot of scripture this morning, so I'm not going to get to all of those, but if you want those, please just send me your, email me, and I'm happy to send you the notes with all my other notes on it. So the following is not a theological treatise. It's just a little theological laughter for our souls. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all nor the lights of its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the irreligious, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb was I always thought Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting there pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I would love to hear you, your take. How do all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. <laughs> We can all chuckle, it's the truth. <laughs> D.L. Moody said this, the thought of heaven has cheered the soul of many believers. Some say that we are fools to believe in heaven, but to deny heaven is to deny Jesus, who came from heaven. It is to place our departed loved ones in the cold, dark grave. It is to deprive millions of Christians of the greatest hope they have. To deny heaven, he goes on to say, is equal to murder, for it kills hope. Is equal to thievery, for it robs joy. It equal to slander, because it calls God a liar. Do you believe in heaven? This morning, for the record, I declare to you, I believe in heaven. You can call me crazy if you want, but I know that it is real. And I know that I will see it firsthand, up close and personal. I will see God. I am sure of this because of two things, the scriptures and the power of God. The scriptures and the power of God. And that's exactly what Jesus points to when he said, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures and the power of God. So this morning, we're going to spend a lot of time reading these scriptures about the power of God and our hope. So our passage this morning is not so much about heaven. The question is about resurrection. 
Is there a resurrection? What happens at death? Here is my Reader's Digest outline of these 10 verses. Number one, people are asking. Verse 18, some Sadducees say there is no resurrection. They came and, he, and asked him about it. Secondly, people are dying. Verses 19 through 23, if a man dies, and dying he left, the second man died, the third all died likewise, the woman died also, death. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they, ri when they rise, what's gonna, what happens at death? People are dying. In fact, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. None of us escapes that. Third, people are mistaken. Jesus said, are you not therefore mistaken? When they rise from the dead, concerning the dead that they rise, he is not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. So if I were to outline it, people are asking, people are dying, and people are mistaken. So I am sure of these things because of two things, the scriptures and the power of God. People, so then some of, the, some of the Sadducees, verse 18, who say there is no resurrection, come to him and they ask him saying, and they're going to ask him the question. Now the Sadducees were the rationalists, the naturalists, the modernists. What you see is all you get. When you die, it's over. No spirit, no afterlife, body dead, soul never was or is no more. They deny the resurrection, immortality, reward, or even divine retribution in a future life. They deny the supernatural. No angels, no spirit, no heaven. And as you've probably heard before, you can understand why they were sad, you see. <laughs> John Lennon's huge hit song, Imagine, 1971. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Less than 10 years later, 1980, John Leonard was gunned down at age 40. You talk about sad. Richard Dawkins, 82 years old now, has spent his whole life arguing against the existence of God. His book titles speak for themselves. He's written many more than this. The God Delusion, The Blind Watchmaker, Outgrowing God. In a recent interview with English journalist Piers Morgan, Dawkins said, I believe that when I die, I shall rot. Nothing of my ego should remain. Piers Morgan said, that's it, nothing? There's nothing else? Dawkins, how could it be otherwise? You have an evolved brain which works by nerve impulses, and when that, when that decays, what could possibly be left? Piers Morgan said, so you don't believe in a spirit or a soul? None of that. That's all conditionally tied to an actual cerebral. Dawkins said, if you mean something that outlasts the brain, then I do not believe in any of them. How could I? Let me tell you, Mr. Dawkins, the scriptures and the power of God. He said this, quote, the only frightening thing about death is that it's unseen. He said, I'd rather spend eternity under general anesthesia. And then he said this, which is what's going to happen. You talk about sad. Christopher Hitchens, some of you have heard that name. On December 15th in 2011, 
He died from, a, from complications related to esophagus cancer. He was 62. Hitchens was a renowned, outspoken author of the atheist manifesto, God is Not Great. He faced off against his mortality with this, Hello, darkness, my old friend. His widow said that when he was in the, ho- when in the hospital, many people came to see him. But he, she said this, God never came up. You talk about sad. He was defiant against the God who created him and loved him to the very end. Now, that's sad. Steve Jobs, many of you know the name. In fact, all of us know the name. At the age of 56, he died of pancreatic cancer. He was a billionaire. The following is thought to be the essay Jobs wrote in his last days. While its authenticity might be disputed, its profundity cannot be. This is what it said. I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my bed and recalling my life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of my death. In the darkness, I look at the green lights from the life-supporting machines and hear the humming mechanical sounds. I can feel the breath of, the breath of God of death drawing closer. He, he continues, you can, you can employ someone to drive the car for you, make money for you, but you cannot have someone bear your sicknesses for you. Material things lost can be found or replaced, but there is one thing that can never be found when it's lost, life. Whichever stage in life you're in right now, with time, you will face the day when the curtain falls. As we grow older and hopefully wiser, we realize that a $3,000 or a $30 watch both tell the same time. You'll realize that your true inner hopeless happiness does not come from the material things of this world. Whether you can fly first class or economy, if the plane goes down, you go down with it, unquote. You talk about sad. Some of the Pharisees said, who say there's no resurrection. See, they had already determined that the resurrection was ludicrous. Fairy tale. They were cultured, highly educated, trained intellects of the day. Their presuppositions are firmly in place, as many are today in those same realms. They had reduced the possibility of resurrection to a laughable absurdity. People are asking. People are dying. Teacher Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves, verse 19, and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife, raise up offspring for his brother. So this refers to a leveret law in order to set up a hypothetical story. So that leveret law, which means husbands or son-in-laws, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, part of that, it goes from verse 5 through verse 10, but I'm going to read 5 and 6. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So this law was given to prevent family extinction. 
It was given to preserve the family name, but also to protect the widow. Now, here's the hypothetical story. Verse 20. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all, had her, all seven had her as wife. Now, in reality, what these Sadducees are doing is mocking Jesus while poking fun at the Pharisees. When Paul was before the Sanhedrin, the Israel's Supreme Court, Paul the Apostle, he was there for preaching Jesus. In Acts chapter 23... Uh, 6 through 8, it says, but when, the, when Paul perceived that one were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and, re- of, and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. He believed that as a Pharisee. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So the Sadducees are mocking, they're ridiculing, they're poking fun with this hypothetical story. May I say to you, a hypothetical story is absolutely of no use to people who are dying. Make up whatever you want. Is it true? Is it a according to the scriptures and the power of God. Jesus wastes no time on this make-believe story. He gets right to the problem, and it is not some woman stranded in heaven. The problem is these men who are still standing on earth. People are mistaken. So Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Verse 24. Because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. That's your problem. You do not know the scriptures. What God has said, you don't know it. You think they would. They're the religious leaders. You don't know what God said. Why? Because you don't want to know what God said. Secondly, you don't know the power of God. What God will do, you don't know it. You talk about sad. The second oracle of that very interesting prophet named Balaam, he said this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? You bet he will. In every, at every turn in every place. According to his word. Because he can do those things. So when they rise. He verse 25. From the dead. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. But are like angels in heaven. To know what God has said does not mean. That I'll be able to comprehend all that God has said. It does not mean I can fully explain what God has said. We see through a glass dimly. Paul said that. It does not mean that we will be able to comprehend how God will do what he will do. And I'm good with that. In fact, I find great peace in that. If God were small enough to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to be God. We can know the scriptures, know what God has said, know his power, and yet not know quite how that works. Because we're dealing with an eternal, eternal God about eternal things. We are finite at best. In Luke, he expands on this. 
Same story. Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. So he's comparing earthly marriage to the heavenly. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore. He has these little details. For they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So in just reading it straight up, Number one, Jesus affirms twice that there will be a resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Two, there'll be no more marriage in the resurrection. In some way, we're like the angels. Not, we don't become angels. It's like the angels. So marriage was given by God for companionship, children, and family. No longer needed. The special relationship between husband and wife, I don't know what that's going to be. I'll look forward to it in heaven. And Charlotte will probably look more forward to it than me. <laughs> in other words, no need for marital relations. No need to reproduce. No need for a dwelling place. No need for a home. Three, there's a coming age that accompanies the resurrection from the dead. Four, nor can they die anymore. The sons of the resurrection are immortal. The resurrection gives us, launches into immortality. This mortal, Paul wrote in Corinthians, must put on immortality. Whole nother realm. Now, let's look at verse 26. But concerning the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the living. Uh, excuse me. He is not the God of the dead. But the God of the living, you are therefore greatly mistaken. You're mistaken, you're greatly mistaken. You don't know the scriptures, you don't know the power of God. The Sadducees only recognize the first five books in our Bible, which is called the Pentateuch, as being God's word. Well, Jesus goes right to it. Right to Exodus chapter 3. Moreover, he said, and this is to Moses, I am, not I was. I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. So their bodies were buried in the cave of Machpelah. But they themselves, these patriarchs, were still very much alive. How's that for a mind blower? Short circuit. God never ceased being a continued relationship Live in your relationship with them. Now, I don't know how that works. But just reading it straight up, the resurrection is not some glorified continuation of life as we know it. It's something different. The entire realm of life will be infinitely different than anything we've ever known. And therefore, the resurrection will not disappoint. You say amen? It will not disappoint. So people are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, the power of God. Paul wrote when standing before Agrippa in the book of Acts, said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? He created everything. Why would it be strange to you? Why would it be thought incredible by you? God raises the dead? Of course, he created all things. You see, there will be a new order of existence promised by God and brought about by his own power. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, 
verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, in other words, is in relationship with him, receives Christ, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He who eats this bread will live forever. He, it's like Jesus said, I want to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you it four times. I will raise him up at the last day. I will raise it up at the last day. I will raise him up at the last day. Do you know the eternal God? His promises to you, his power in your life to raise you from the dead. We just had, in fact, some of you might know Ron Hughes. He was 62. He just passed away from being sick. We're going to do a funeral for him. He knew the Lord. He's going to have, we're going to have a, at the church we're going to be doing it, there's going to be a casket there, a viewing. He is not there. <laughs> I tell people, you know, death is kind of weird. But oh, it's how real it's going to be for each and every one of us. We pass through that portal. So, so three, three things now off of this. Is there a resurrection? Yes. And there are three that I want to talk about this morning briefly. There's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's the resurrection of the just and the unjust. And there's the resurrection at the rapture. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is everything. If he is not risen from the dead, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now he has risen from the dead. Look at those. The resurrection of the just and the unjust. These include everyone. There will be two resurrections in that sense. The, re the just and the unjust. Three, there's the resurrection of the rapture. This includes a few. So I am sure because of two things. The scriptures and the power of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is everything. Know the scriptures and the power of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, many of you know well, this is the resurrection chapter. I want to read through some of that. He goes, first begins with a historical argument. He's saying, hey, this is real. Here are the arguments. This is reasonable. Here are the arguments. This makes sense. Here are the arguments. So he gives the historical argument first. He says, moreover, brother, I declare to you, notice, the gospel. Central to the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's everything. He says, that, which I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, by the twelve. After that, he was seen, he was seen, he was seen. Evidence, historical, it happened on real time, in history, on earth. He goes then to the logical argument. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Jesus whom he did not raise at all. If in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. In other words, it's futile. It's empty. It's not true if Jesus has not, did not rise from the dead. In verse 20, he gives now the theological argument. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also, capital M, came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, no Christ, no firstfruits, Afterward, those who are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and he puts an end to all rule, all authority and power for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy will be that will be destroyed is death. And everyone said, hallelujah. He gives these arguments about the resurrection. Then he, in verses 35 through 49, he goes on to talk about the attributes of of the resurrection. It's fantastic. You should read it. In let me give you just a little, I don't, it won't be up on the screen. Someone say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now, Paul says, foolish one. In other words, look at this, God's creation. Look at how God did this. What you saw, foolish one, what you sow is not, what, is not made alive unless it dies. And what you saw, you do not sow that body, the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. So you have this bulb. It's really ugly looking, but it's called a tulip. And you take that bulb and you put it in the ground, and what happens? It comes up as this glorious, beautiful flower. What you plant is not what grows out. When we die, these earthly tents, we'll look at this in a moment, Something, this planting of this earthly in order to then be in the heavenly. Then he goes on to talk about that. The resurrection of the dead, raised incorruptible, raised in glory, raised a spiritual body. He says here in verse 46 of chapter 15, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. What you plant is the natural. What's planted. The first man was on the, of the earth made of dust. The second man, capital M, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of the dust, so shall, so shall those who are made of dust. As is the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And as we have been, as we, and as we have been born, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Something's going to happen. This bulb's going to become a tulip. That caterpillar is going to become a butterfly. This is God's power. This is God's doing. This is God's promise. This is what he has said. Then he goes on to talk about how does this happen? What happens? Well, first he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says there must be a change. The resurrection. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. 
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on incorruption. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. Yes, sin is death causes. And the strength of sin is the law. It, it condemns us. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians, we, we're studying that. We just got through this part. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. There is going to be coming a change, and I'm telling you what, I can't wait. I can't wait. Therefore, he said, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. There's more to come. This life is in preparation for a kingdom. This life is in preparation for eternal, eternity. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, are you keeping up with me? I'm flooding you. I get it. <laughs> Got to do it. For 2 Corinthians 5, for we know that if our, I love this. This is a great wonderful passage for the funeral of a believer and an unbeliever. Because this, at any funeral, any memorial, that's the time to talk about the gospel. And we know that if our earthly tent, if our, if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you know the scriptures and the power of God? There it is. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. There's coming. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. He's going to prepare. He's been working on that for a few thousand years. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. When we were saved, God sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have this, the, what God has said is, you're sealed. What he says, you want to, I'll put it real simply, you're mine. You're mine. No one will snatch you out of my hand. I'm preparing a place for you. I will be, you will be where I am. Wow. For now, who has prepared us for is God, verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, please rather be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim. Now, this is important. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, notice, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Some will be burned up, some will be rewarded. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust well known to your consciences. So this resurrection of Jesus Christ, second, the resurrection of the just and the unjust. He's talking in part about that judgment seat of Christ. These include everyone. No one escapes judgment. Fortunately, through Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed, 
he paid for, he took our judgment on himself. We receive the pardon by our faith in him, our trusting in him, coming to him, receiving from him the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by these things, we are saved. By these things, we have this hope beyond the grave. So know the scriptures, know the power of God in the resurrection of the just and the unjust. In Daniel chapter 12, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, great tribulation. There's going to be real trouble on earth. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even at that time, Jesus says the same thing as he's laying out what's going to happen in the last days. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some into everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteous like the stars forever and ever. You know, I was reading, a, we were going through a book, the pastors were going through a book called The, the Portraits of a Pastor. The chapter we're doing next is the pastor evangelist. And I'm reading this chapter, I was so convicted. Because I, I, don't, I hardly share because I'm surrounded by, I'm studying, whatever. And the Lord just, just convicted me in a deep way that these things that I have are treasure, a treasure, the gospel, that other people. How about yourself? He says there, those who are wise shall be, shine like the, the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn, turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There's something about sharing the gospel. In fact, the armor of the gospel in Ephesians 6 is our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, we walk through landmines, but with the gospel on our feet, we are safe. We walk it out, the gospel. We declare it. We preach it. We seek to see Jesus Christ turn people, the Holy Spirit, to him. Now, our job is not to convict them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to tell them. Tell them. And somehow in Daniel here, there's these, this brightness you know, that comes through that. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the same thing. The everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels and those who go on everlasting punishment of the righteous into eternal life. There are two, the resurrection, the just and the unjust. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, most sure I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Mark it. This is what the scriptures say. This is what God says. Most sure I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Paul in Acts chapter 24. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Paul sought to live his life in the context of coming judgment. The context of the judgment seat of Christ for the believer. The context of the great white throne. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2. These two resurrections, these two judgments. In Revelation chapter 20, I saw thrones and they, 
and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God. This is not on the screen. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was, were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. There is a judgment of the just, resurrection of the just and the unjust to stand before God and give account. In Revelation 20, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according to his own works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone found not written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now, that's not the most encouraging passage. But listen, listen. It is a warning to those who are dying. There is coming judgment. But there is also the, the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because you do not believe in Jesus. It's very simple. If you will believe in Jesus, he will forgive you of all your sin. You will convict you of sin, of righteousness. What righteousness? Not my own righteousness. Said of right because I go to the Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit is convicting of righteousness in the context of none of us is righteous enough to get into heaven. Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. This is the declaration to those who are dying. Those who do not believe in Christ that we bring this warning. The final resurrection is at the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians, some of you know this very well. It's talked about a lot. It's hoped in a lot, which it should be. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep in the Bible is always talking about death. Because you wake up in that sense. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, the scriptures, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That should be a comfort to every one of us. Now, this is the, there are different views as to the timing of this incredible event. Calvary Chapel holds the pre-tribulation position. I would direct you to chapter 8 of Calvary Distinctives, which are, you can take one. They're available for free. Those are distinctives. But I'll read a, little, a quote. It says, verse 69, The rapture refers to that time when Jesus is going to come without warning and take away his church from this earth. After the rapture, the Lord will pour out his wrath upon this sinful world. Simplify this rapture, this event. Now, a couple scriptures in closing. If I can have the worship team come out, please. We're going to take communion together, and I think good to do that after this. <laughs> Titus in chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age.
It is not a license to live however I want. If it doesn't matter how we live, then why did Jesus have to die? It matters. And being saved by his blood, being saved by grace through faith, being given this gift of eternal life, it radically changes from the inside out. And now we don't want to live that way. We, find, we found out it is empty. It's a dead-end road. It will ruin our relationship with God. He loves us and he keeps on hounding us, if you will, by his spirit, through his word and knowing his power. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who, are, who gave himself for us. That's what we're going to be remembering in communion. That Jesus gave himself for us. That's the scriptures. That's the power of God. That he might redeem us from, from every lawless deed. Wow. By his blood, we have been redeemed. Peter said, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your former manner of life. If God wanted to, he could turn the whole Andromeda galaxy and say, be gold, and it would be gold. Meaningless. But with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without spot or blemish. Because we take these two emblems. We're remembering that Jesus has redeemed us. Remember that Jesus appeared our great God who died for us. But then he says this, and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. When we stand before that, the judgment seat of Christ, it will be according to our works, according to how we lived our lives for him. And he wants to purify us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in taking communion, he died for us, he redeemed us. He purifies us. And often in these times, for the time of communion, said, examine ourselves. Where are you at with the Lord today? What are the things in your heart? God knows all about it. We're not fooling him. But the scriptures are that, that light. Search me, O God, know my heart. Bring that to the Lord, would you please? Just you and him. Say, okay, Lord, here, here's... Here's a, here's a thing. Here's something. So take those emblems. Hold them. We'll take them together. Little instruction. There's a cellophane thing on the top. That's, take that off first or you'll have juice all over you. That's the, and then the second is for the, the emblem, the symbol of the blood of Christ. Just the juice. Just take that off. That's a foil one. Okay? Let me pray and then take it. Please. Lord, please, right now as we're passing these emblems out, much more than just a piece of wafer and some juice. It is telling us, reminding us again that you have saved us, redeemed us, and you want to purify us. So now, Lord, as we're coming before you, purify us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name.